Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. People always tell me, oh, Dr. King, I'm too busy to meditate or do my breathing practice or to play or to do these things. Uh, and then I will say, well, then, you know, you're not just too busy to be healthy. You're too busy then to be happy. And guess what? You're also too busy to be brilliant and successful. So if you want to be ambitious and successful, uh, I certainly do. You know, I think about uh, the times that I was actually able to meet my goals. Um, I had to play. I had to take those breaks in downtime. Hello and welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast. My name is Poppy Jamie, a recovering perfectionist and the founder of award-winning mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect. Like the app, this show is about hitting pause and taking time to look after our mind and soul. In this series, I explore how we can make life better in 2020. How can we reduce stress, enjoy life, bounce back from setbacks and get in flow? My guests will be sharing their expert advice and I hope you join me on the journey. Our theme music is courtesy of Mindstream. Visit mindstream.com to learn more about how their music and environments help you sleep, relax, focus and move or find their music on any streaming platform. Let's crack on with the show. On today's show, I have Dr. Shimmy Kang, who is an award-winning Harvard-trained psychiatrist, best-selling author, and speaker on how to incorporate more play, passion, and purpose into our lives. That sounds great to me. Dr. Kang has helped thousands of children, teens, and adults transform their lives through her books, TED Talks, and practice. In this episode, we break down the science of living life with more joy and I love Dr. Shimmy Kang because she really shares so much wisdom that's backed up by years and decades of research. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. This episode is supported by a brand I've been a huge fan of for years, Aromatherapy Associates. I passionately believe high quality essential oils are really effective in soothing the mind and body. So to launch their latest shower oils, a line that gives you a full mind and body experience in the bathroom by maximizing the therapeutic benefit of oils, we are teaming up with them to celebrate and encourage us all to take five minutes from our day to reset, refresh, and look after our spirit. There is no easier and better way to do this than jumping in the shower. So if you'd like to find out more, and I really encourage you to do so, have a look at the show notes and you can find out more about their oils by visiting www.aromatherapyassociates.com. Anyway, let's get into this interview. What is your favorite quote at the moment? 
So there's a quote from the world of motivational therapy, uh, and I don't even know who said it, but it's simple is not easy and knowing is not doing. And I really love that because I think uh, the things that we need for health, happiness, success are simple, you know, routine, regular sleep, for example, drinking water, but 80 to 90% of us are chronically sleep deprived and chronically dehydrated. Um, and we know this, we know how to do these things. Uh, so knowing is not doing. And I think that's such a good reminder um, that uh, the last part of the quote is doing leads to being. So when we do those things, when we sleep, when we drink the water, now we can become the people we want. So simple is not easy. Knowing is not doing. Doing leads to being. Um, what's a life lesson you've been reminded of recently? So I have chronic pain. Um, so I have a genetic uh, condition where I don't make collagen. And I'm constantly battling um, my um, energy, my ambition, uh, what I want to do with self-care. Uh, and it really is, I feel, the life lesson of my life. Uh, and it's ironic because I'm a psychiatrist and I'm always telling people to take care of themselves, but I find myself in that boat. So, uh, And I used to laugh that, of course, the universe would not give me a mental breakdown because I know how to handle that, but it actually gave me a physical breakdown in my joints and stuff. Uh, to keep reminding me, I think, of that quote is that I need to remember the simple things that I know work and keep doing them uh, for my own health and well-being. And how do you define happiness? I believe happiness is a choice. Um, I believe it is a verb. Um, I believe it is those daily things that we do um, that bring us happiness. Um, I've talked about lifestyle stuff already, uh, but I think to add to that is um, routine, regular sleep, routine, regular exercise, routine, regular, positive social connection. Um, social bonding is not socializing. We need to bond in a meaningful way. Um, and routine, regular creativity. That, those are the keys to happiness. Um, I speak the language of neurochemicals, and that's endorphin, oxytocin, and serotonin. Um, so when we choose to bring those things into our lives, uh, I call them play others and downtime. Um, these three aspects, then we will have happiness. If you are a human being and you consistently bring that into your life, your happiness will improve um, because you will get uh, that release of these really powerful um, neurochemicals. That's, I really want to just kind of spend a moment on that point, kind of social connection is not social bonding mm -hmm. because obviously, you know, we've, we've naturally become so lazy in our social connections because of technology. What part has the pandemic played in that kind of social bonding and social connections? Do you think it's increased social bonding or actually do you think it's decreased? I think it really, I think both actually really depends on the individual. I'm really glad though, that it has sh shined a light on the importance of social bonding and social connection. Um, even the word social distancing, you know, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, I, I, I would go on the news and say, we must call this physical distancing. We should not call it social distancing because we are social beings. We cannot function. Um, the severest form of human torture is um, solitary confinement, you know, like, literally, that's a bit of a morbid thought, but um, that will lead to our um, dysregulation of our mood, anxiety, eventually suicidal thoughts, and we'll self mutilate 
just by not being socially connected. And so the pandemic really shined a light on this. I think some people were able to realize that they didn't need to go out and, you know, do endless amounts of um, events and galas and lunches, but they need, did need to connect and call their grandparents or their, their close friends and make sure they stayed connected. For others, though, I think um, it, it's a bit of a harder battle because those natural aspects of our open world, you know, talking to a, a coffee shop um, barista or, you know, just seeing people on the street also brought us some sense of connection. So, um, but I do hope that the pandemic has shined a light and created a course correction with this idea um, that socializing is not social bonding and we need the bonding. Really interesting. So your TED Talk has been watched by millions. And what I found so interesting when I was watching it is you delivered this talk in 2014. And now six years on, couldn't be more relevant. Everything that you were saying, you know, you've mentioned it, but crazy stress levels, sleep deprivation. And you said, you know, we use busy as a symbol for importance. And you were highlighting kind of how dangerous that was then. And I don't think that's particularly changed that much. And why do you think we are so addicted to being busy? I think uh, busyness ties into uh, the concept of perfectionism, actually, um, the topic that you've done such great work around, um, because when we don't feel good enough, um, you know, we decide we need to do something to feel better. And we know that rates of perfectionism are going up and up each decade. Uh, and it's particularly happening in young women. Um, so, you know, the highest age group of rising rates of perfectionism are young girls and women um, between the age of 18 and 24. Now, research shows there's a bunch of reasons for that. Um, Part of it is uh, technology, as you mentioned, um, selfie culture, um, seeing, you know, when I was younger, the only um, beautiful people we ever saw who were photoshopped and fake filtered were, you know, in magazines. Um, and everyone knew they were celebrities in a certain way. Now it's everyone, your next door neighbor, you know, are, you know, filtered fake images um, and we're bombarded with that. So that's part of it. Um, also, when we look at values have changed, even if you just look at media, um, 20 years ago, a bulk of TV shows were talking about family, like Little House on the Prairie, or, you know, happy days that, you know, they had their own issues, but that was the main themes. Now, when we look at even TV shows, so much is about being famous, um, someone that is adored and admired. So there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, we've also overvalued our work as our identity, not as much as who we are on the inside, but who we are on the outside. So all of that has led to this crisis of busyness. And um, it's really hurting, not just uh, perfectionism, but burnout is the other part of it. Uh, I talk about that in my book the tech solution and burnout actually has been recognized by the World Health Organization as an upcoming medical condition um, because we are just burning ourselves out, running on that um, endless wheel of trying to be someone else. I, I mean, having been someone that's been burnt out and kind of had quite a long and slow recovery from it, I couldn't support what you've just said more. I think it's just a really interesting point about the fact that we value what we do more than who we are. How do you think we can change that? First step is to pause, right? Like, I think we just don't even know um, where we're headed. And, you know, again, I always go back to neuroscience. That's how I like to explain things. You know, when we have these feelings of uh, not being good enough, scarcity, I need to be someone else, um, I'm 
going to be judged where I value myself based on who I am on the outside, we actually release this stress response um, in our bodies. And that stress response, many people have heard about it, it's freeze, fight or flight. Um, and we kind of understand it like, oh, yeah, you know, freeze would be like a deer in headlights, um, you know, a tiger roaring is fight or a bird flying away is flight. But for the human, um, these are all happening in our mind. Uh, our freeze is anxiety, control, perfectionism. Um, we have trouble deciding things. We procrastinate. We're mentally frozen in our mind. Our fight is irritability. And our flight is any kind of avoidance and distraction. So to get out of it, we have to get out of that system of survival and um, the simplest things are really powerful. So just pausing and I really encourage people to develop a practice of breathing, deep breathing, because when we stretch those receptors in the top and bottom of our lungs, it will shut down that stress response. Um, it will abort that freeze, fight or flight reaction. And now you can think with a clearer brain, um, with the top part of your brain, not that primitive part, uh, and you will make different choices and decisions as opposed to reacting from that place of stress. So again, very simple thing, pause, breathe, um, reflect, um, but it's not easy. Um, and we kind of know it works, but that doesn't mean we're doing it. Absolutely. And I think this kind of moves into um, what you speak about a lot, which is that we are wired to be adaptable. Um, the science of adaptability what does that mean and I would love for you to kind of go into like how Darwin well how we thought it was survival of the fittest to begin with but then it actually in his later work Darwin suggested survival of the fittest isn't necessarily the best way forward and actually adaptability is what keeps us alive and thriving right yeah it's really interesting because Survival of the fittest actually uh, became inappropriately understood as the fastest or the strongest. Um, but really, the fittest um, meant a fit with an ever-changing world, you know, kind of like a pair of shoes have to fit your feet. So survival of the fittest is actually about adaptability, um, um, adapting to a constantly changing world. Now, right now in 2020, our world is the most fast paced, rapidly changing we've ever known. Um, so this makes this concept of survival of the fittest or adaptability even more important now than ever. But it's always been the key to success, whether you're a plant, an animal, bacteria, a company, um, a small business, a corporation, or an empire. What I find interesting is there is a second part to that Darwin's theory, which we don't talk enough about, but is also very relevant now. Um, the key to success was survival of the fittest, but the second part was diversity of the species, meaning we're meant to be in diverse groups. We're meant to be around people who are different from us and think differently so we can exchange ideas, solve problems that are beyond our own thinking and innovate. Um, and I think that really calls for what we're seeing now is this diversity and inclusiveness um, as a second part of success. 
gosh, I've never heard of that second point. I absolutely love that. And what's interesting is kind of, we are at this, I think, just huge junction because social media, you would think, would have brought us more diversity. But in a way, I think that you end up following more people who are like you. So we've ended up kind of more, more group think, like a viewpoint is strengthened by these kind of echo chambers. What are your thoughts on social media and how does somebody increase the diversity in their life to be able to kind of capture that second wave of like us being able to be more adaptable. And I'm sorry if that sounds like a very simple question. You know, I, I look at technology in my book, um, The Tech Solution, I actually make the analogy of technology and fire. Um, meaning that at a certain point in human history, our ancestors, the early humans had to decide if fire was a good idea. On one hand, it was going to cook their food, protect them, bring them down from the trees um, and innovate and create all kinds of opportunities. But on the other hand, it was very dangerous. Um, And if you didn't use it right, it would scorch and burn you and kill you. I believe technology is the fire of our time. Um, It is an innovation that is so powerful that if you don't use it, you are definitely at risk of being left behind. Um, in our modern world. But if you don't know how to use it properly um, and in your service, not in the service of the persuasive design aspects of a lot of the tech that we are um, being exposed to, then um, it can really hurt you. And we know that social media use uh, on one hand is linked to anxiety, uh, body image disturbance and addiction. But on the other hand, it's linked to community building and innovation and um, even self-care, right? With um, so much positive online. So it's really your choice to decide how you're going to use this very powerful innovation. Uh, So if I take, let's say Instagram, I say one hour of Instagram could actually be toxic to you. It could release cortisol if what you're doing on Instagram is comparing your life to other people's wonderful life and you're stuck in FOMO and comparisons or hate or cyberbullying or whatever, that's toxic. Another hour of Instagram could be uh, what I call junk tech. Uh, It's just dopamine driven, mindless scrolling, kind of like eating a bag of chips. You know, there's no nutrition there, um, but you know, it's a little junky and a little bit of that, you know, is not a big deal, just like pizza and pop on a Friday night. But if that's all you're consuming, it's gonna be a problem. Or one hour of Instagram, could include bonding, reading inspirational quotes, um, developing your community, you know, doing mindfulness or meditation on live. Um, and now you've got healthy tech use. So social media is really about how you consume it. Um, you can consume toxic uh, uh, social media, junk to- social media, or healthy social media. The good thing is it's our choice to make. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. So you are the incredible founder of Dolphin Kids and um, and the Dolphin Method. And um, I just think it, I, when I was reading about it, it's just so clever. Um, firstly, what was it about the dolphin that inspired you to create a kind of a method of living, which is the antidote to modern life? Right. Yeah, it really came from a couple of different sources. Um, as a psychiatrist, I would find myself saying and thinking, we humans have forgotten what it means to be human. Um, we have forgotten that we need to rest, we need to sleep, we need to bond, we need to play. And I started telling my patients stories of other mammals um, because they'd be like, oh, Dr. Kang, I have no time to sleep. I have no time to play. I have no time to do these things. And I'd be like, okay, well, it's part of who we are, our, like literally in our brain. I didn't know how to explain it any better. And I would say, look, think of the dolphin. They live in this ocean and they are at risk of being eaten by a shark or drowning. But guess what? They sleep by alternating their brain hemispheres one at a time um, and they play every day, meaning they take time to move their bodies and um, explore their environments in new and different ways because it's a fundamental part of who we are. So that kind of opened the idea of the metaphor. And then when I looked at the traits of the dolphin, um, there was a synergy there with what we call the 21st century intelligence, aspects of uh, intelligence that are very different than previous IQ understanding. So what we need for our modern world is good communication, uh, creativity, critical thinking, collaboration, and a sense of contribution. These are the five C's of the new intelligence. I call it CQ uh, in the book, The Dolphin Parent. And those are the traits of the dolphin too. They're great communicators, they're collaborators, they live in a pod, they're, you know, so it was just, and we're visual learners, we learn through stories. And so that's why I picked this metaphor, uh, very powerful. And there's three things dolphins do every day that we need to do every day. And that's the play, connect, um, and have our downtime. So that's the, the pod. So it all worked really well together. It worked so well. And pod is so easy to remember. And I was watching one of your talks and you were uh, discussing um, the experiment on rats and the impact of play. And obviously this relates a lot to kind of like child development and allowing children to play as much as possible. I would love for you to kind of explain about that experiment in particular. Sure, I love doing this. I'm a total science geek. Um, so scientists at the National Institute of Health took two groups of rats. Um, this was many years ago. And they allowed one and one environment to play freely. So you know, the, the little rodent rats were jostling and wrestling, and they had, you know, balls and little toys in there. And it was a kind of a normal rat environment. The other group, they prevented play behaviors. So they didn't allow any toys. And in fact, when they saw it, they separated the rats. What happened next was very interesting. In both environments, they threw the collar of a cat, um, which was basically the smell of danger, a predator. Um, and they threw that into both environments. And all the smart little rats um, instinctually went into a hole um, to protect themselves, uh, which made sense. Uh, but then 
the group of rats that were allowed to play slowly sniffed and they went in and out of the, um, the box. They, they checked it out. They looked around and they were able to adapt. They were able to come back out and realize it was just a collar and live a happy rat life. Uh, the <laughs> other group died in the hole. They were unable to adapt. They were unable to take the risk um, and explore and experiment. Uh, and that was the power of play. I give that story because play, like sleep, like bonding, um, are critical human behaviors that we have stigmatized as something that we do after work um, or, you know, and it's not valued as the essential uh, human activity that it is. This is why I just, you're such a powerful speaker because there's so few people remind us that actually it's a good thing to play. There's so much guilt associated with play and downtime. And um, you focus a lot on on the parent-child and how parents can nurture this environment to bring up resilient and emotionally intelligent uh, children. But your focus on rewarding play and also rewarding breaks as a route to breakthroughs, I also found that very inspiring because, again, I feel like I have to really focus on breaking my conditioning around going, oh my God, I had a break. I need to work harder because I need to, you know, kind of like make up for the time I, you know, took out. Whereas you kind of say the opposite. It's like, no, that these actually can be our most valuable moments. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And again, it's, um, you know, people always tell me, oh, Dr. King, I'm too busy to meditate or do my breathing practice or to play or to do these things. Uh, And then I will say, well, then, you know, you're not just too busy to be healthy, you're too busy then to be happy. And guess what, you're also too busy to be brilliant and successful. And you almost have to go to that, that level to really make this point. Um, This is how our brain works. Uh, When we are in stress mode, we're in freeze, fight or flight, nothing else happens. You're either freeze, anxious, fight, irritable or flight, distracted. All creativity, success, um, the love, the things that, that bring joy to life happen in the, sur- not the survival, but the growth nervous system. Uh, so we have to be in that mode, especially now. I think also we have to recognize that the modern work environment in the school system evolved from a time when we didn't need uh, what we call higher cognitive thinking. We didn't really need to be creative to work in a factory. We didn't really need to be creative to memorize and regurgitate it on a, on a test the way things were two, 300 years ago. But now the world is disrupted. Um, we don't need to know the right answer. We need to ask the right question. Uh, we need to be collaborative, creative. We need to generate fresh and original ideas. Um, All of that comes from um, the other parts of our brain, the non-stress related brain, uh, and um, really come from the play others in downtime. So if you want to be ambitious and successful, uh, I certainly do. You know, I think about uh, the times that I was actually able to meet my goals. Um, I had to play. I had to take those breaks in downtime. How do you encourage your clients to embrace play more? I know, again, that sounds such a simple question, but in a way... I'm sure a lot of people just go, oh God, like, how would I play more? How do I expand my creative brain? How do I nurture that? 
Yeah, well, it, it's a struggle because there's a stigma against it. So I do, you know, the way to motivate or change minds is through a different a variety of ways. One is science, one is storytelling. Um, the third is repetition. So I keep repeating myself. Uh, so the science is simple. Um, play activates the prefrontal cortex of our brain, the big part of our brain. Um, it is the area that's responsible for um, being comfortable with abstract thinking, uh, learning from trial and error, making mistakes. It is the area of innovation and adaptability. Um, play also releases serotonin. As people have heard of this. It's a very powerful antidepressant, neurochemical of confidence and mastery. Uh, so people are shocked when they hear that play releases serotonin. And people have heard serotonin word as something we need to take when we're anxious and depressed. And storytelling, meaning that, you know, why would Google and Facebook and some of the world's biggest, most competitive companies bring in playrooms, um, create genius hours in their work week, um, meaning that, you know, you have two hours on a Friday to play with your favorite project um, and have these massive investments in play if it didn't have value. So, uh, and I keep repeating all of that uh, because I think that part of understanding is really realize that we're locked in to this concept that, um, you know, play is a luxury we do after the fact, not an essential part of our human uh, health, happiness, and our innovation. Yeah, it's a, it's a health habit. And so do you find people find kind of success in coloring in or kind of playing like sports games or like watching movies? Are, is, are those kind of involved in what you prescribe? Yeah, so, okay, I love the topic of play. It's very sophisticated. Um, there's seven different types of play. Each activates a different part of our brain. Um, so for example, rough and tumble play or body movement play, think of dancing, um, think of uh, gymnastics, think of twirling little, you know, you can see little girls twirling around, little boys wrestling, let's say, or whatever. They're like, everyone's all over the place. What that does, body movement play, um, when we think of the push and pull of physical activity, it's actually developing um, our social mind. So if you think of wrestling, I have two boys, when they used to wrestle, um, they're actually not hurting each other, but they were actually learning how far to go, how to assert yourself. So um, young kids who rough and tumble play and um, even adults were less likely to bully or be bullied and we have healthier social relationships. Um, there's something called object play, which is playing with our hands, sculpting, ceramics, gardening, even our hands are very intelligent. We have 60,000 sensory neurons and our human hand evolved the same time as the brain. Most people are like, oh, yeah, you know, when I'm stuck with a problem, I find if I do the dishes or I fiddle with my pencil or I doodle, um, I can get unstuck. So that's object play. Um, there's social play. There is storytelling play. We are storytelling, um, uh, you know, species. So there's seven different types of play. And I believe, um, and the research supports that they all help develop essential parts, essential life skills um, that are so important to our health, our happiness, um, and our problem solving and innovation. Talking about something you've recently launched, mental wealth, which obviously encompasses so many of the things that we've spoken about in this episode. But talk to me about what do you mean by mental wealth? You know, I really thought a lot about what to call um, the YouTube show. And, uh, you know, as a psychiatrist, mental health, of course, is a big topic. And but I really feel we need to 
expand the conversation beyond that. Um, you know, health isn't just the absence of disease. And so when people talk about mental health, they'd be like, oh, if you have anxiety, depression, addiction, you got to deal with your mental health. But I wanted to also recognize and, and create a conversation around the power of the mind, um, uh, not just baseline health, but now uh, innovation, joy, uh, love, you know, creativity, these really um, expansive ideas, peak performance, um, how do we get into a flow state? So all of those are um, topics that I'll be talking about on the channel. Um, and so it's really, uh, I say anyone who's interested in protecting, healing or optimizing your most powerful asset, your brain, your mind, you know, that's what you'll find on that mental wealth show. So when we talk about healing, what do you mean by healing the mind? Because I think we can all agree that all of us have got faulty thinking habits. Like we, you know, get stuck in those thought ruts or we just can't stop obsessively thinking about something or worrying. Where does healing start for you and how do you approach it? Yeah, that's so interesting because I don't see healing in the sense of there's damage. Um, I see healing as a sense of pathways. Um, so we have something in our brain and it's beautiful. It's called uh, neuroplasticity, complicated word, mm -hmm. I say, um, but it's a complicated word for hope. And what I mean by that is every brain has the ability to change and to learn and to rewire. No matter how much trauma you've had, no matter how much negativity or experiences, um, our brain is really gifted with this idea of being able to rewire or being neuroplastic. So healing is about recognizing which pathways you might have developed over time. Um, the pathways in our brain develop the exact same way as, let's say, trails in a forest. Um, if you go to a forest, you're going to see pathways there. Uh, well, those came from people walking on those trails and the trails in our brain have been walked on. You know, if you're perfectionistic, well, then maybe you learned that as a child, you know, you were, our school system encourages that, you know, everyone's evaluated, you get a grade. If you're, um, you know, anxious, you know, you created, um, there's a trail there, um, a pathway, a neural pathway. Uh, luckily, we can unwind those pathways, we can create new trails, just like in a forest, you can just start walking on something else. And over time, it will develop. Um, we know neuroplasticity takes about 90 days to develop a new habit. I talk a lot about this in the tech solution book is I actually open up the idea of habits. So to me, healing is habits. Um, and people may not see it that way, but it's mental habits. Um, you know, when someone says something, which pathway is triggered? Is it my stress response? Or is it my curiosity response? And instead of internalizing it and feeling that maybe that was unfair to me or hurt my feelings, I'm going to take the pathway of curiosity and wonder, why would that person say this? I wonder what's going on in their lives. Um, so to me, uh, I'd like to think of it more as rewiring and um, changing habits and pathways. And that's how we heal, uh, fundamentally. There are so many habits that are good for us. And sometimes I think it can get a bit overwhelming. If there was one habit that you could encourage every single person to take up to be on a path to greater mental wealth, what would that be? Oh, wow. Um, I would honestly say breathing, um, simple. And the reason why I say that is if you are in that stress response, a freeze, fight or flight, uh, you're not going to be making choices or decisions um, with your full level of awareness and intelligence, you will be 
anxious, irritable, or distracted. Um, and if you can develop a breathing practice and every human has the same receptors in the top and bottom of our lungs, it will work for you. Now you will be in that nervous system, we call it parasympathetic or growth nervous system, and you will be able to interact with your world versus react. And uh, so that's one very simple thing um, that we all know how to do, uh, but we got to get to the doing a bit more. Right. Totally. Um, thank you so much for this deeply informative interview. How can people find you? What's the best way to kind of find your books, you online and on socials? I'd love to hear that. Sure. So um, I'm pretty much available anywhere at drshimikang.com. So uh, all lowercase D-R-S-H-I-M-I-K-A-N-G. Uh, I have a website that links to all my social media on YouTube. I'm uh, Mental Wealth with Dr. Shimmy Kang and really excited about my next book on technology. That's called The Tech Solution, uh, available anywhere books are sold. Incredible. As I said, again, just your focus and like bring your awareness to kind of play and downtime and all of these things that we undervalue. Thank you so much. It couldn't be a better time to hear all of this during the summer when we can make the most of hopefully being outside and, and, and playing a bit more um, in just our natural world. So huge thank you from me. Huge thank you for like all the listeners. And, um, and, I, and, I, and I'll see everybody watching the YouTube channel because I'm obsessed with this sort of stuff. So I certainly will be a subscriber. Great. Thank you, Poppy, for your amazing work um, and for the community that you're building and lifting us all up and reminding us of all of these really important activities. So uh, yeah, just really grateful for what you do. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Of course, it would be amazing and very appreciated if you wouldn't mind hitting subscribe and sharing this podcast. You can find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram. DM me questions or any guest suggestions. I'd love to hear from you. And also, if you have a moment, download Happy Not Perfect. It's my mindfulness app that helps you manage stress, anxiety, sleep, and ultimately makes you feel happier every single day in less than five minutes. See you next time. Sending you lots of love and energy. Till then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.